Book of Philippians, chapter 2. We were blessed to have uh, all our kids and grandkids here for Thanksgiving. They they uh, come up with their own uh, rotation on Christmas and and uh, Thanksgiving. So every other year they're all to, um, at Thanksgiving. And uh, our house is so full when they come, we have to borrow a trailer from Mike and Kim for some of them to sleep in. For most of the years when our kids were at home, we traveled to Oregon every Thanksgiving and gathered with Sue's clan. The weather was usually raining, and we were driving from Seattle in the dark through bumper-to-bumper traffic on the freeway after work on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. That's when we started giving thanks, right then. One year it rained so much that as we were getting closer to uh, the Oregon coast, a place called Rockaways where we went and gathered, as we were getting closer, the radio was saying the roads are closed here and the road is closed here. And eventually all the roads were closed (laughs) to where we were going and we were far too poor to go to a hotel. Uh, And, uh, but... So we, we thought, well, we're going to go down through Tillamook, and we'll come back up uh, that way. And we got to Tillamook, and there's a low spot in the road, uh, pretty close to the Tillamook Cheese Factory, if you've been there. And there was water on the road, and, and, and we stood there and w- sat there in the car and watched, and the trucks would go, you know, a semi-truck can go across, uh, you know, a foot or two of water, no big deal. So, you know, and it was like 9 o'clock at night, and I thought, I had a Ford Taurus, that we can make it. <laughs> so I waited till the semi truck started, and I followed right behind. He kind of kind of pushed the water out of the way a little bit, and uh, uh, we only got a little water in the car, but we made it through. <laughs> I felt a little bit like a postal worker, Chet. Neither rain nor flooding nor closed roads shall stop the faithful father from delivering his family to their Thanksgiving destination. We made it and uh, cleaned the car out the next day. Jesus traveled a long way to arrive at the first Christmas, and nothing could stop him either. I want to read about his journey in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus traveled from glory to humiliation. That's the long journey that he took to come at the first Christmas. His journey was not so much about physical distance, but about spiritual distance. And we need to understand of that distance by, first of all, understanding his pre-incarnate life. 
Now, I'm not going to apologize for using a couple of theological terms today because this is a, a most important theological concept for you to get a hold of. What was Christ's life like before he came to earth, and what was it like on earth? What changed in the coming from heaven to earth? The word incarnate means literally to be in flesh, and pre-incarnate is a term that has been coined to refer to Christ's existence before he came on that first Christmas morning and took on a human nature. Now, the, the word is important because sometimes people think Christ was born on Christmas Day. And we have to be real careful with our terminology. I, I had a, a lady in our church in Tukwila who was you know, a, a strong Christian and a significant leader thought that Christ began to exist on the first Christmas day, and that is not the case. We need to understand that Christ existed. He is God. He, his, his lifeline has two arrows on it, no beginning and no end. His, exist, his existence changed on the first Christmas day, but it did not start. And so we need to understand his pre-incarnate life, his life in heaven before the Christmas day, if we're going to understand uh, his long journey from glory to humiliation. The first thing that we might think about is his appearance. If we look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6, it says he existed in the form of God. In the King James, it says form. In the New King James, it says form. And in the NIV, it says the very nature of God. And the word form, to our thinking, is, is kind of the shape of something, what it looks like. The word very nature goes much deeper into what that thing is. And the truth of this word is it's both. It's most often used to refer to what you see, but what you see then is based on what is inside. And so this word is communicating both things. He had the quote-unquote outward appearance of God because he had the very nature of God. Now, if you're a good Bible student, you know in John chapter 4, when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, he said these famous words, God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. He was making it very clear that God is not a physical person he is a spirit person he is no less personal and no less real but he does not exist in in a human body as we think of that he does not have a particular physical form and so when when we read philippians 2 we have a hard time thinking what what was jesus existence like in order to understand his pre-incarnate existence we've got to go to some other scriptures starting with this one you remember when Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and he took them up to a high mountain. He had just told them before this, some of you are not going to die before you see the kingdom of God. And then this happens. And what he, what he was saying was, I'm going to show you what it's going to be like in the future. He took them up to a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Literally, it's the same word form, transformed before them his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light 
he was transformed. What was he transformed? Was he, did he become something he had never been before? No. What he did was he went onto that high mountain, and, and, and to our way of thinking, he, he sort of opened up his human flesh and said, this is what God looks like. It's very similar to what we read in the book of Exodus about from Moses. Moses said, please show me your glory. In other words, Moses was saying, let me see you. Let me see what you look like. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim, I will say the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. Now this was written at a time before sins were forgiven. Nobody was ready to be face to face with God. That's different now, and it'll be different in the future. But at that time, he said, you cannot see my face. But here is a place near me. You stand on the rock, and it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand, and then I will take my hand away, and you will see my back, but my face shall not be seen. God describes something like the shutter on a camera. Shutter on a camera goes like this and lets the light in for a measured amount of time. God says, I'm going to put you here in the cleft of the rock, and then I'm going to put my hand there, and I'm going to go like this, and you're going to see my glory, just the, the backside, the passing, the impact of my glory going by. And so Moses was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights, but he neither ate bread nor drank wine, and he wrote on the tablets the word of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Now it was so. When Moses came down from the mountain, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone. It was shining while he talked with God. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. That's the impact of the backside of the appearance of God. Now, if I could tell you exactly what that glory of God is like, I could write a book, and I could be on the lecture circuit. All I know is, when God says, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. When God says, my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. When God tells us that he is high and above us, we need to step back and look at these passages of scripture and say, the existence of Christ before Christmas day was something like that. It was this un, 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 unexpressible, unbelievable, uncomprehendable, glorious light. That's what Jesus' life looked like, if you will, before he came to earth. We also could understand his pre-incarnate life by thinking about his privilege. His privilege. Christ's existence in heaven before he entered our world, was more than just a magnificent appearance. Part of being in the very form of God includes the worship and recognition of the holy angels and believers both on earth and in paradise. 
Remember this episode? Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn or burn up. That was the burning bush. He was walking through the desert doing his business as a shepherd. And here's a bush on fire, but not consumed. I will turn aside. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses! And he said, here I am. And he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. What does this have to do with the, pr the privilege of Christ? This is most likely an, actually Christ himself talking with Moses. And when Christ made this bush burn and Moses came by and he spoke to Moses, what was Moses' reaction? Hey dude, what's up? High five, down low. No, he went, whoa. He, he, he reacted somewhat like the prophets did when they had visions, like Isaiah. Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in a land of unclean people. Jesus received respect in his pre-incarnate existence from the holy angels and from the believers on earth and in paradise. Here's an incident from the life of Elijah that, that illustrates the, the respect that he received. Hear me, O Lord, this is Elijah on Mount Carmel. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God, that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Jesus was in heaven and people were shouting out, The Lord, He is God. That was the existence that Jesus had in heaven before He came on earth. But there's one more thing we need to understand, and that's His power. This passage really wraps it all up, uh, summarizes it really well. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, that Son, Jesus Christ, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven, things on earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before, he is more important, he is the first priority over all things. And in him all things hold together. The Higgs boson particle is Jesus Christ. The thing that physicists are looking for to figure out why does the world hold together it's jesus christ now all of this helps us to understand what jesus or what paul wrote here by god's inspiration again look at philippians 2 verse 5 jesus was in the form of god 
He was in the form of God, and this, then th- that makes this next phrase so significant when we look at his values. But he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Now, the word robbery is just a plain, hard word to translate. Literally, it would mean something like something to be hung on to like a treasure. You know, you, 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 you have found this thing and you're going to hang on to it for, for life or death because it's so important to you. Jesus looked at that existence, that pre-incarnate existence, the, the appearance, the, the privilege, the power, and he said, that is not something I have to cling to. The, the, the idea of the word robbery being used here is like if somebody were to steal something, that thing is so important or what that thing gives them is so important that they're willing to steal for it. And, and the idea here is that Jesus said, this is not the most important thing. We ask the question, was Jesus God before he came to earth? Yes, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Time without end. He was one-third of the Holy Trinity, if we would put it that way. Did he deserve to exist in the glory of heaven? Yes. But what we read here is something was more important. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. We had, as I've already said, we had all of the wild animals, I mean grandchildren at the house this week. One of them is an angel the one that's a month old. (laughs) One of them really likes to run, kind of like Forrest Gump. And our house has a perfect circular place to do that. And when he starts running, everybody joins in. And of course, they don't run silently. You know, they just run. It's just because they can. And the dog follows. Yeah, dog this year too, so. They do that until one of them knocks something or someone over. And then Grandpa has to stop and think about what's really important. And let go of one value for a greater value value Jesus let go of that which was very precious the outward existence of God the outward display of glory the the receiving of worship the demonstration of power he let go of that because of something that was much more precious us And based on that value, we read verse 7. What did he do? He, he didn't consider it something to be hung on to, but instead of that, 
verse 7, he made himself of no reputation. He made himself of no reputation, and he took the form. Now there's that same word again. He existed in the form of God. He took on the form of a bondservant and came in the likeness of men. This is the travel. This is his sacrifice. Now, the, the word that's used here when it says made himself of no reputation is literally translated, he emptied himself. Now, some people have struggled with this. Some people have tried to make this say he stopped being God. But he did not stop being God. He stopped having the outward expression of God. He stopped having the outward, receiving the outward things of God like worship. And he took on a human nature, full and complete, to understand this word empty, I want to look at a couple of other scriptures, because it'll help us to, to cement this in. If those who are of the law and heirs, for if those who are of the law and are heirs, faith is made void, literally empty, and the promise is made of no effect. And then this one, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel with wisdom and the words of the cross should be made of no effect or to be made empty. In other words, this word is not about completely stripping off and taking away. The word is about what, am, what is going to be operable. Christ let go of the heavenly expression of being God. He, he, he made certain things inoperable, and then in Matthew 17, he took those three disciples up and he said, let me just show you what's coming in the future, which is the same thing that was in the past. He made it operable again right there. He let go of the heavenly expression of being God and put on a human nature with its physical limitations. Now, I know that Christ did miracles, he walked on the water. Uh, he, was not, um, he was not at the mercy of, of what we would call natural law. He could supersede that. But in the main, for his 33 years, he was completely subject to a human life. He had to go to bed at night. He had to get up in the morning. When he got up early to pray, he was probably tired we know there were times when it says he was hungry and thirsty. John chapter 4, the woman at the well, he was thirsty, and he said, well, somebody get me a drink. We know that he suffered both uh, personally and physically in many ways. He took on a human nature, and in fact, when it got all the way to the cross, Isaiah 53 says, there is nothing beautiful that we would want to look at him if you've seen movies like the passion of the christ they don't go far enough if you've seen a picture of jesus on the cross and he looks like a, a beautiful uh, white-skinned man with long flowing hair it's wrong because however he looked it was such that people would say man i don't want to look at that that's how far he traveled. In fact, the extent of his travel really is in verse 8. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself 
and became obedient to the point of death. His humility extended all the way to dying. The creator of life. Remember Colossians 1 that we read? By him all things were created. I understand that the Genesis chapter 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But if we understand all of Scripture, it seems like God had a plan and Jesus carried it out. And so he was the one taking the, taking the dust and forming Adam and breathing into him the breath of life. He was the one that reached into Adam's side and pulled the rib out and fashioned a woman out of it and brought her to Adam. The creator of life experiencing death. That is a long journey from point A to point B. I met a sergeant with the state patrol many years ago who had worked on Governor Booth Gardner's security detail. And uh, if you don't know it, the governor does have uh, state patrol troopers who uh, keep him safe, and he has an airplane. The governor has an airplane at his access. And he was telling me one time about a time they flew to Bellingham, Bellingham International Airport, in the governor's plane. And as soon as they landed, the airport worker came out and slapped a landing tag on. Now, a landing tag means uh, you need to pay us X amount of dollars before you take off again. <laughs> and this sergeant with the state patrol, he gets out and he looks at this worker and he says, we are not paying any landing fees. This is the governor of the state of Washington. What would it have been like if Jesus had come according to what he deserved? He would have descended from heaven in a blinding blaze of glory. In fact, if I really understand the scriptures right, human life couldn't even have existed in that glory before the death and forgiveness that Christ brought to us. But let's just say that he could, that we could have existed through that. He comes down in a blinding blaze of glory, and he would have asked for worship, and everybody would have bowed down whether they meant it or not, and he would not have been our Savior you say, how? why not? Because according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Christ took on a human nature with all of its limitations, a human body with all of its limitations, and went all the way to death, death on the cross, to pay for our salvation. When I was young, my mother made me dress up like a girl for Halloween. That was my costume. <laughs> we were so poor, we couldn't even afford a hobo costume. Can you imagine my humiliation? Can you imagine the humiliation of the eternal Son of God taking on a human body and all of its limitations and going all the way through all of the 
just the normal challenges of human life, plus all that he went through at the, right before the crucifixion, and then the crucifixion itself, and then in the grave for three days. That is the longest journey anybody has ever taken at Christmas time. And why did he do this? You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, he had this magnificent existence in heaven, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. We get eternity in heaven because he was willing to give up heaven for a time. I have marveled at the tiny size and limp construction of our newest grandchild. Uh, you know, I, I, I guess when I was young and our children were born, I just took things for granted, but I, I look at him and his skin kind of hanging off, and I, I think, boy, those were the days, you know. He is a perfect little guy, but he is totally at the mercy of those who care for him. Completely. That's how the Son of God, the creator of and sustainer of the universe, that's how he came to earth. With a view to becoming your Savior. And it's that Jesus, that one willing to give up so much, that we are here to remember today. He said, will you do this in remembrance of me? Will you stop on a regular basis and eat this bread and remember my physical sacrifices? And will you drink this juice and will you remember my blood shed for you, for your salvation? That's what we're going to do today. We're going to sing a couple of songs as we prepare our heart. If you've never believed in Christ as your Savior, it starts with what we're talking about today. Who was Christ? He was the Son of God. And He came and took on a human nature, and He died on the cross to pay for your sins because you couldn't do it. And what God asks from us is that we would believe this truth. We would put ourselves in God's hands by belief. And when we do that, God says He will forgive our sin and give us a new nature. And if you've never done that, it's time to do that now, both before this worship ritual, which God says only is for believers, and also before the days of your life expire. And if you're a believer in Christ, you need to be right with Christ. You need to be appreciating all that he's done for you. Would you take the time during these songs to, to examine your heart as God tells us to do and to be ready to to, to confess your sin and then to be ready to worship him. The worship team's going to come and we're going to sing. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for sending your son. Jesus, we're here today to say thank you for coming. Thank you for leaving uh, an existence so glorious we can only imagine, and that imagine is pretty puny, but we're here to say thank you. May you be honored by our worship in song and in the Lord's Supper. I pray in Christ's name, amen.